So we began speaking about the letters of Harambam. And of course we have a good sense as to what the letters that the Harambam wrote to various communities in various situations. We're now going to approach something that's called the Gede Timan, <coughs> which deals with critically important issues. Issues of Kiddush Hashem, issues of martyrdom, issues of a false messiah. That's a, that's it's a very significant issue yes. because when do you draw the line of being willing to commit martyrdom, which means dying al Kiddush Hashem, and when is it inappropriate? It's a very important halachot. So important that Rahambam in, in Mishneh Torah, his wonderful work, in the fifth chapter of the Choyzdei Torah, Ram talks about halachot of Kiddush Hashem. When am I obligated to die for God's name? Not a simple issue whatsoever. Unfortunately, it's been part and parcel of Jewish history for the last 2,000 years. Going back all the way to the Greeks, 167 before the Common Era, where people were asked to die Kiddush Hashem, all the way to the Holocaust, in quotes, because... <coughs> Because, because we could raise the question whether that's called dying al Hashem because there they were not given a choice in the Holocaust. So that, is that Kiddush Hashem or not? It's a question that we may pursue separately. But certainly, in early periods of time, multiple situations existed where Jews were asked to die al Kiddush Hashem. Which means, the pogrom is happening. They knock on your door. They tell you, convert to Christianity or die. Now you have to decide, what's, what am I going to do at that point? Should I die or should I convert to Christianity? Should I let... Or do you want to, as many Jews did, had done, kill your children first before they come and answer that question? Because they may take your children without even asking you and baptize them, raise them as Christians. So of course this places everybody in this very difficult situation. God forbid, but what if it happens to us? Is it worse to allow your child to grow as a Christian or a Muslim, to put the question in its broadest perspective, or as a Nazi, if you want to look at it from that point of view? Yeah. Or does one take the life of one's child? That was unfortunately and very painfully the question that many Jews had to face throughout Jewish history. So Rambam strikingly places the halachot, the laws, that deal with this issue in the fifth chapter of the Choyistei Torah, which means the basic foundation principles of Judaism. So this is to be viewed as basic as fundamental. Maybe Rambam put it there because historically he was subject to the very same issue. His family was faced with this notion. We mentioned last week, Harambam was born in 1135 before the common, after the Common Era in Cordoba, Spain. By 1148, when he was 13 years old, the Almohades came storming across the coast of North Africa, ended up in Cordoba in Spain, and gave the Rambam and his family that choice. They fled. And ultimately, after years, they ended up in Fez, Morocco. And some would say, but not all would agree, that they lived the life of an outward Muslim in order to right. save one's life. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately they had traveled all the way and ended up in Egypt and lived their life as Jews. Well, that's true or not is, is irrelevant, but the Rambam certainly faced the question of martyrdom or faced the question of a fanatical group and raised the question, is Islam the same as Christianity? The same halachot apply. And what about paganism? Rambam did not face the issue of paganism per se, but he faced the question of Islam. Many Jews faced the Islam in Western Europe with Christianity. And of course, a thousand years earlier, they faced the question of paganism. If one tells you, become a pagan, bow to an idol, idol or die, what does one do? That's the question. Chesot Torah deals with the halachot in the abstract, one would say. This essay is going to deal on something much more expanded than that.
It's going to take a real life case where these Jews are now threatened. What should they do? Does the halakha change in a real life case or not? It's an interesting question. The theory versus the practice. Something that one has to confront and think about. Now also, the fact that it is a real life case does raise other questions about the letter. Because does one do something differently when one is faced with a situation than the theory? It's easy to study the theory. We did it a hundred times. No problem. But when you face that issue, you're walking, let's say, by a church, right? <clears throat> and some ruffians happen to... We'll get tough for the seal. And some ruffians happen to be good Italian kids, and they see a nice Jewish boy who's 12 or 13 years old walking by the church. It was on Neck Road, the church, right? Neck Road and East uh, 3rd, when I had the situation. And now, you know, kids are hanging out. They're Italian kids. It's a Friday night. You're wearing a yarmulke. They take you off a yarmulke. And they think it's funny to make you bow in front of a Madonna, which is the statue outside the church. So what do you do? Do you get beaten up? Or do you bow? Real life question. And the taunting, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the feelings of worthlessness... The fear, the anxiety, all that's part and parcel of your decision at that point in time. Right. So now what do you do? Halakot. So you try to mentally go back close to the Torah and you try to see what would all the drama I'm doing in that case. Very difficult issue. So it's a real case. Now, when the real case is there, would you, do you think that drama would really want me now to really get beaten up to a pulp? Who knows how far they'll go? No. Or would one just simply just, you know... Guess. Okay, good. The Harvey has a ready answer. You go to yes. Philadelphia, you didn't have this problem, Philadelphia. Right. <laughs> I had this problem in Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> on ne- Neck Road, Graves and Neck Road. So that's the question that one is raised, the, ra- the Rama raises over here. This community was threatened with <clears throat> a fanatical Muslim group. What do we do? In addition to which, he also deals with the issue of Mashiach, where how do you know the right Mashiach is the right Mashiach? Again, in the, Chod, in the Mishnah Torah of the Rambam, in the Chod Melachim, the last two chapters, it deals with Mashiach. Okay, that's the theory behind it. But what happens when you deal with a real life Mashiach comes and says, I am Mashiach, do you believe me? And if you don't believe me, then you're consigned to perdition. Because you missed the boat. I'm the real life Mashiach, you people don't believe me. What do you do? So we'd have an easy case about it. Open the Rambam, look what he says, if you conform, you don't conform. Do you ask the man to do a miracle? Not do a miracle. Is miracle the criteria of Mashiach or not? Maybe it's not. So what is it then? Shavuotai Tzvi was, of course, a the last massive false Messiah of the Jewish people. 17th century came along and convinced two thirds of the Jewish world, including the Jews of Syria, that he was the Mashiach. Astounding! What happens now? And then, of course, he converted to Islam, and even that was rationalized and justified by his followers. How was it justified? How was it rationalized? What would you say? Right. How would you rationalize the Messiah converting to Islam? And still maintain that I'm the Jewish Messiah. What would you say? Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, you think it's a contradiction? Could the Messiah convert to Islam just to get them in? So it's an interesting question. There's a great article <coughs> by Gershom Shalom which talks about this issue called Mitzvah Ba'avira, meaning I sin in order to do a mitzvah. Has he apply this? called in Shalom's article the holiness of sin you sin in order to achieve Kedusha 
astounding. And it's justified in their perverse way of the Sabbateans, the Shabbat, those who follow Shabbatai Tzvi, how they do it? Well, they explain based on the very famous Kabbalistic doctrine, and the Rambam, of course, not deal with this when he talks about Mashiach, because this is not relevant to the Rambam. When God created the world, he tried to embody the divine presence, the light of divinity, in what's called kelim, utensils. The kelim could not contain the divine presence, and splattered all over the world, as all of which, when you do a mitzvah, you are bringing back the kelim to the original source, the sparks, divine sparks. You want to fix the utensils. Say, I am reuniting. I am saving those sparks from whatever item I'm saying on back to its source. So our job as Jews is to ultimately reunite Shekhinah. To reunite the source with the source, so to speak. Right? Good. So, Shabbatai Tzvi would argue that I had to go into the Tum'ah of Islam to salvage the, the sparks, the tzutzim, the sparks of divinity, and bring them out and reunify, reunify them with the original source. So, it's an incredible theory, which again, decades, if not centuries, after Shabbatai Tzvi, people still had believed that's what he had done. That's what he had done. He was he converted Islam in order to save, not to save Islam, but to... to salvage the Nitzotzei Kiddushah, the holy sparks that were embedded in the tumified religion of Islam. So people, interestingly enough, can rationalize anything. It's now, like that you violate the law to save the law. Right. Exactly. That's what, that's, he didn't use that, but that's along those lines. Right? I can do anything <coughs> to save the law. So I can violate to save the law. Mitzvah Habavera we always say it's not valid. I can't steal a love nor take a berakha on it. The slav is invalid. Correct? We always say that. Good. But sometimes you want to say that I will sin to achieve levels of kedushah. Very striking, very strange, almost bizarre. We wouldn't have believed it. But now you have the phenomenon in the Babich where the Rebbe is viewed as Mashiach in some fashion or form. and But he died. He passed away. So what do we say now? What do they say now? So they're saying now that he's going to resurrect. So now there's of course a very strong RCA resolution against believing this. Because 50 years, 200 years from now, they'll really say that it happened. That he was the Mashiach, and he died, and he's going to resurrect again. So now we have Christianity all over again. It's a crazy phenomenon. It's an absurd phenomenon. Rabbi David Berg wrote this entire book on this phenomenon, petrified because he knows Christianity so well. This is what's happening right over here again. So it's a, a fascinating sociological analysis of a phenomenon. Where did he yes, write it? the book? Yes. No, it's... Lubavitch. I mean, it's, it's, it's an anti-Lubavitch book. And what's striking about it is that David Berger was castigated by a foolish rabbi, I don't mention his name, who said, what are you talking about? Lubavitch is Lubavitch. It's wonderful. It's holy. Right. It's great, okay, but it's done its good stuff. We all admit to that. But they've crossed the line. And this very foolish rabbi is saying, don't worry about that. But David Brooks worried about that because this is what might happen. And it's astounding how mainstream Lubavitchers will in fact admit to this, say that this is, uh, you know, that the rabbi is Mashiach and he's going to come back. Mainstream. It's not a radical fringe. It's really part and parcel of a struggle that Lubavitch is going through now to define itself. What's the Rebbe? Was he or was he not? 
If he was not, then where are we at? And if he was, then what happened? The, the easy answer to this question is, you could say both. Rabbi, if you want to, what do you lose? Rabbi, wasn't Mashiach? We weren't appropriate, we weren't proper, we, we were not the Oyim for this, therefore he died, and okay, let's keep on working towards Mashiach. So you had your cake and eat it in that sense. Okay. But um, short of that, that might not satisfy you, it may not mobilize the masses with enough, with enough intense fervor. So you have to say, yes, the Oz is coming back, so keep on pushing for it. Very difficult situation that they've gotten themselves into. And thankfully, there's a very strong reaction from the Orthodox world against them. Because otherwise, you're really playing with fire. False messianism. Harambam over here also, towards the end of this essay, it's a long essay, so we'll you know see how far we want to go with this. Very long essay, it's about 50 pages. The Rambam deals with these two issues. Martyrdom and false messianism. Let's begin. He now begins on his opening page with a long genealogy. And I have to try to figure out why is the Rambam given, giving his own genealogy to this? Many Anna, which means Mimeni from me, who am I? Moshe, Rabbi Maimon, the son of Rav Maimon, who was known as Dayan, who is the son of Rabbi Yitzhak Chacham, who is the son of Yitzhak Harav, who is the son of Ovadiah the Dayan. Give me five generations. Why is he doing that? <coughs> I don't know. Establishing his credibility. Okay, but we know who the Rambam is. So the question is, do they know who the Rambam is? So we have to try to really read this carefully and try to figure out what's the purpose of establishing his credibility over here. It's a Rambam after all. They wrote him a letter. What should we do in this situation? So he's writing them back and says, I am the Rambam. Son of, son of, son of, son of. Why is that important? Now you'll see in about two minutes exactly what I think is the reason for this. Right? And it'll be not what you think is the reason for this. He begins by opening up with this very strong statement. Hazeku yadaim rafot. Strengthen weak hands. Uberkaim knees that are buckling. Ametsu fortify. Nice pasukum yeshayahu. Perek lamed he. Chapter 35. Pasuk gimel. So now, as is the practice of the Rambam, this is the way to introduce your topic with a pasuk. Good pedagogic, pedagogic technique. Give me one pasuk which incorporates the theme or motif of that which I want to do. What do I want to do over here? I want to strengthen weakened hands and buckling knees. Ametsu. Notice this, of course, is a parallel biblical phrase. It's this, the notion in the first phrase is the same notion as the second phrase. It begins with hazeku and ends with ametsu. Really means the same thing. Hands that are weakened and buckling knees is the same point. So it's A, B, B, A. Right? That's the way the poetic structure of this phrase. And he wants you to remember this phrase. Because this is his purpose over here. Now, does Ishayah Sarov, it's in the Tanakh, next to the brown book. <clears throat> now, does this add in any which way to the direction or focus of the essay, of his letter? What would you say? If he's telling you that my purpose is to strengthen you, therefore, what? Is it simply just to tell me what his purpose is? Why would you say that? Doesn't it obviously color in a certain way what's going to follow? 
My purpose now is to strengthen your weak hands. It's not simply to tell us that's my purpose. What else is behind this over here? It's his purpose, indeed. But what is he saying? Saying that... was telling them that they have weak hands. Good. They are weak hands. I want to strengthen. That's good. Okay, good. More than that, what's he telling us? This letter seems to be a public letter. We're not sure, but so far we're working on the premise there's a public letter. So what is it telling you if you're writing a public letter on that assumption? We're going to come back to that point as we go along. When the assumption is a public letter, right? And I announce to you that my intention is this, whatever it is, this is this. How does that color my halakhic statements over here? Or does it not? So which that is valid, but does it, does it color it in a certain way? Well, it's coming, coming from a position of strength. He's like castigating, almost coming strong. Well, he's not going to. You see, as we go along, he's not really going to castigate. He's going to try and strengthen them. Well, strong. Well, because they're weak. Well, it's coming, coming from coming from an authority to, to uh, saying this is the right way and listen to listen to my words. Obligation is to be strong. All that you're too harsh. I read this differently. I agree with what you're saying, but I read this differently. I read this by saying, <clears throat> if my intent is to achieve a certain goal, right? And because you're weak in your knees and weak in your hands, hazekush, be strong, have courage, right? It colors the halakhic pronouncements by saying that I'm writing this with an end in mind. It's not pure theory any longer. Pure theory is my book, Mishneh Torah. I can send you that chapter. <clears throat> Right on the Chizit Torah, it's 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 a uh, one page. It's seven halachot, eight halachot. Here it is. Fax it over. Email it to them if they had email, and then they get it. And that's the end of the story. But now his intent over here is not only going to be to give them the theory, but his intent is to color the theory with to strengthen them where they're at. So now I may use polemical or exaggerations. Other kinds of statements, because my intent is not only to provide you with the absolute theory, I want to strengthen you. So I'm not giving you pure theory any longer. I'm giving you the straightforward halakha only. I'm going to proceed that halakha, and I'm going to come up to that halakha with other words that are going to be meant in order to strengthen who you are. Bring you along. Bring you along. So it's not pure theory any longer. My intent is clear now. <clears throat> Let me analogize. Let's say you want to win over the heart of your um, of, a, of a person, right? right? You want to get matches to that girl over there. She's a lovely girl. She's a beautiful girl. And you have to write her a letter. But you can write her a love letter. Now, let's say you announce from the very beginning that your intentions are, I want to marry you, right? Now, then he says, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that, and, and I'll give you anything that you want, etc. So the goal stay at the outset. Now, as opposed to, let's say I do it differently. Dear uh, Emily, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. I'm saying it objectively, these characteristics about you. There's no goal in mind. I just want to say that you're a beautiful, wonderful, fantastic, extraordinary person. So that's objective. I have no, nothing beyond that. Then the bottom line I say, and I want to marry you. So now, they're not objective, then they become emotional. Let's say that letter, I send it out, and I don't write anything at the end. Then I write another letter, pretend less I want to marry you. So what was objective then all of a sudden becomes viewed as subjective. Now that's one scenario, correct? I stated objective facts about you. You're beautiful, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this. You're a great advisor, you're a great teacher, you're a great, great housewife, you're all these great, wonderful things. It's viewed as objective. So what does the person reading it say? Oh, objectively, 
He said, I'm this, 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 this. Very nice. Good, good feeling. And there's no ulterior motive. No ulterior motive. He didn't say anything. Right? But let's say I said my ulterior motive at the very beginning. Doesn't that color? This guy has an angle. He's saying that I'm beautiful. Why? Because he wants to lure me into marriage with him. It's two different issues. Similarly, if I give you a present, you're a nice, you're, oh, what a nice guy, I gave him a present. Very nice. And you feel good about it. And then I ask you a favor two weeks later. Let's say at the very beginning, I need you to do this, to, to get me into the port authority to get a job. By the way, here's my present. Different issues. <laughs> you're good. They would never, they can't lose you. They, they can't lose you. I know better. How long are you there? 30 years? 34 years. He's the pillar of the Port Authority. Nobody appreciates how important the Port Authority is to the state of New York, right? I do, because I talk to you. So isn't there two different things over here? The ulterior motive is stated at the very beginning. That colors whatever I'm going to say next. If I didn't have my ulterior motive, then it seems to be more objective. Here's the objective. So I'm telling you very, telling us or them. But if you put it at the end, then... then That's a different effect, actually. Well, because then you go back and reread it. Exactly. It's an interesting effect. It's a different effect. First effect is, if somebody says to me, let's say, um, in the same exact scenario, if they say they're objective first, I need you to do my wedding, right? You're a great rabbi, you're, uh, you can speak great, you're what, 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 how soon do I take it? He needs something from me, so therefore, <clears throat> it colors whatever he says afterwards. On the other hand, if he comes and says, it was a great speech, fantastic, wonderful, and I walk away. Okay, very good, that's a very nice compliment. Let's say he says at the end, you're great speaker, da, 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 da. This is, now he's doing my wedding. It's a different reading of the text. So now I rethink all that he said over here was with an ulterior motive. The first time, the first case, he told me from the very beginning. So I put it in one category in my filing system, right? So without any ulterior motive, it's another category, right? Because that's, that's objective. Oh, I'm a great speaker. Put it with the ulterior motive at the end, it's a different statement. So now I'm going to reread. What did he really mean when he said I was a great speaker? Is it because he knew, needed a favor for me? Because he really thought I was a great speaker. That's a little bit more ambiguous. So here the Rambam is stating at the outset his ulterior motive. To Hazaku, strengthen your weak hands, your buckling knees have courage. Now, again, why would one state this at the very beginning? Because he wants you to know that what I'm about to say is not straight, pure theory of halacha. I have a job of it to strengthen this community. So now, what I'm going to say is in that framework of strengthening. Which might mean that if you come to the same question where the issue is not one of strengthening a community, it might be a different issue. So it's almost protection by saying people who read this essay is a certain underlying motive, ulterior motive here, which is strengthen this community. So don't necessarily apply this across the board to every single halakha question. It's not a halakha issue. Oh, you want pure halakha? Look to Mishnah Turabak. That gives you pure halakha. This is something different. Here now, I'm going to be emotional, I may be exaggerating, I may be polemical, because I must get this community strengthened. That's the way I read it. Let's see if what I'm saying goes and happens, right? Now, to the honor of the great and holy rabbi, Jacob the rabbi, the kacham, who is pleasant, who is valuable, who is man of stature, the son of Ben, the great honored Rabbi Netanel, may his name be a blessing, the son of Al-Fayumi, <coughs> who came perhaps from the city Asajdid in Egypt from Al-Fayumi, 
who is in the midst of all the great people, Alufenu, our great people, our brothers, all the students of the communities who live in Teman. That's a very long, dear Joe. Right? So a very long title over here. May God protect them. Got that. Now he starts with a poetic phrase. Poetry plays no role in halakha. There's not one poem in Shnei Torah. Correct? Now we're beginning, and remember, the Ram is responding to a letter that Rav Yaakov Afayumi wrote to him. We'll see this as we go along. They wrote to the Ram on the letter. I don't know if the academics have the letter. Does the letter, sometimes the request may have been not preserved, and only the, um, perhaps only the answer was preserved. So that's not sure yet. I have to check some of the footnotes over here to see whether or not we have the question. But even if not, the Ram will be clear from the Ram's answer what the question was. So good. But he begins with the poetic statement. I'm trying to figure out what's the point of this poetic statement. Al ha'emet ya'idu which literally sort of means for the roots of truth your gizgeza is the stump of a tree the trunk of a tree shall testify for the roots of truth your trunks shall testify and for the goodness of the flowing water fountains shall testify the source of the water what is he saying over here? Why are we telling me? Why is he, what's this all about? <laughs> Very difficult. Not easy. Well, let's try to send a simplest level. I would think that, uh, <laughs> He's now praising, criticizing, flattering, cajoling. What's he doing right now? Establishing their roots. Their roots. In other words, they're great people. Or they, or they come from great people. Or they come from great people, right. So now, it's interesting that he's saying that. He's saying over here, your trunk shall testify as to the roots of truth. Because you have it. Or, or, your, or your trunk can only be as good as your roots. He's not saying that. That's true, but he's not saying that. He's saying that you have, good foundation, you have right? good foundation. The roots of truth are embedded in the trunks of your people, of your community. Right? You're, you're great people. So already we've already begun on this attempt to say how great they are to flatter them, to cajole them, to remaining strong. You already have a great history. And the goodness of your fountains is testified, in other words, you're right to me, you guys have the truth already. Yes, he do testify, the source of your waters. Your waters are good because your source is good. Your roots are good. You're strong. Your forefathers were great. So now, this is an attempt to strengthen who these people are. Your forefathers are great. So he's now going to, as you see as he develops this, is going to come to this conclusion that because your father was so great and they had all the truth and everything else, therefore you should react a certain way. Sort of like if somebody doesn't like something that I'm doing, right? Whatever it may be. Studying going to college, let's say. Who doesn't like it? So come to you and they want to convince you not to. What would, they, what, would they, what would affect me? What would make me want to do what they want them to do? Tell them, they're just giving me objective argument. Sorry? Is that your way? Your, your great grandfather, great Baton, would never have gone to college. So I want you to go to college. Your source, your roots, you've already had it solid. <clears throat> you are deviated from what they are, what they were. Which of course, it's true. Now it's interesting because had it been the case that I had known all about this fantastic genealogy that I have, I may not have gone the same route. So I don't want to deviate from this 
two, three hundred year old tradition of what my forefathers were all about. I'm a new creation. This notion of Syrians going to college and, be, and merging that as a modern Orthodox Jew, etc., etc., that's a new invention. Just as Ashkenazic may even say. Of course, it's me, and I, but I, I'm aware of where it comes from, the Ashkenazic world, and somebody can very legitimately argue, that's not you really. You're a new creation. That's not happened. It's not what your great, great, great grandfather did or your great rabbi, this rabbi, that rabbi. That's not you. You should follow in their footsteps. Great traditions, great family, great Tawadiyachamim, doers of miracles. You go, college, you're deviating, you've become something else. Now, in a, as in a modern American, it's okay to become something else. You know, to deviate somewhat from what you were. But not when you're going to, but not if you're going to break a tradition that goes back three to four hundred years. Now you're something different. That's it. You're not part of the same tradition. You want to be part of that. You feel secure as part of that. That's me, you want to say. But I obviously found out all about this history after I'd become who I was, who I became. But had somebody wants to convince me differently, then I, that would have been a very strong argument. Look of your who you are. Me? That's me? You have the power of your lineage and your heritage. You go to college and throw all that out for four years of, of studying something? So the Ram over here seems to be First of all, establishing the credibility, the roots, the power of their geza, of their trunk, of their source. You have truth over there. So now what are you going to do? You're going to deviate and run away from it? He'd want them not to do So there's something almost polemical in opening by saying you have the roots of truth. Yeah? Question? Now, further. V'omnam ki indeed Indeed, Omnam in Hebrew usually means but. However, the word Amana in Arabic, in Arabic originally, Amana, which means indeed. So it's, sometimes it's very difficult because the Hebrew translation of Omnam to Amana uh, sometimes doesn't always follow. But this seems to be indeed. You have to get the context. From the, from the source of truth, Parah, flourished, a root that's trustworthy. From the source of truth, which is what your community is all about, Teman has now broken through, flourished, a root that's trustworthy, and from the ma'ayan of Hasid, and from this, playing on this notion, from the ma'ayan, from the fountain of kindness, a major powerful stream has, has, nimshach, is extending in Esteman. From the roots, what happened? Fantastic stuff. A root of that that's trustworthy to the Jewish people. From this manyan that we spoke about just above, it's very poetic, it's a very artful style. From this ma'ayan, this water fountain, came kindness. A major river now flows throughout Teman. From those roots, from that fountain, now we have, look at your community. So we went back to the roots, and now we're going beyond the roots. <coughs> excuse me. Going beyond the roots saying, look what you have in front of you. So what's he doing right now? How do you strengthen? Swapping. Sorry? Swapping. Maybe. Building up. Building up. He's building them up. He's building up. You're great people. So your question, you, you can imagine what's going to happen in the pages to come. You're questioning whether or not you should maintain the faith of your fathers. Look who your forefathers are. Great source of truth. Look who you are. From the roots came 
fantastic stuff, a root that is trustworthy and kind, powerful rivers now flowing to Ivan, in order to water with those waters all the gardens in order to to blossom all those little budding shoots very poetic you're not, you're not too poetic you're an engineer you don't like poetry so much right. you're a cold hearted <laughs> mathematical monster that doesn't uh, I don't, I don't. it's difficult to understand so from this water is now it's all this, the strong waters of truth and kindness. Those flowing waters in Teman are now watering the gardens and flourishing, budding all of those little flowers. The Nehu Lidbar. Top of page Kofdalat. And it is pleasantly continuing to all, every tired thirsty person in the desert. Right? And your waters are now doing such wonderful stuff. What is he writing over here? Not for me. Isaiah 3.35. Right. Strengthen the hands that are slack. Right. More for the tottering knees. Yeah. Good. That's it. That's correct. That's the translation. That's all. Right. Put your eye. It's going to fall. Right? That's the translation. Good. So now this river is now doing what? This river is now giving sustenance. So not only are you this powerful oasis, you have to remain strong. Why? What's your job? What's your mission? What are you doing? You are giving sustenance to every tired, weary, thirsty traveler in the desert. So you're giving to others. And there they found that which satiated... They say they were satiated with your great learning. So you're going to take all that away from yourselves right now? You're the source giving to others. You can't take that away. I mean, it's a very, very emotionally powerful statement. You're the roots, you're the trunk, giving to others, watering the gardens of other people's minds. Well, question is there. Do we become Islam? You'll see. We have to see. I don't want to reveal my hand before it comes. Because you should read this as so they read this. To, to the Rambam from them first. Yeah, so he said, should we become Muslims? Okay. That was right. And then, they, and we have a false messiah, as we'll see. So these are two very critical issues. So he starts off by saying, you're the ones that feed the world. It's knowledge, it's Torah, it's truth. You want to change? I mean, so it's really he's building up a very strong case. Call over the dead. Whoever passes by, all the islands in the ocean are all sustained and nourished by the freely flowing waters of Teman. Lachen, therefore, he'aviru call. You should um, proclaim, pass the word in Spain and bisfar vayim, which is a footnote tells us a city in Syria, meaning from east to west. Proclaim from east to west. From one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. So we have to proclaim something. Hoy, I proclaim. Whoever is thirsty, go and drink from the waters of Teman. That's the source. That's the truth. So it interweaves the biblical verses with his metaphorical poetic imagery of roots, of trunks of trees, of freely flowing rivers. Now, what might add another dimension to this very interesting formulation 
is if they were, and I don't know if they are or they're not, wonderful rivers in Yemen. None of us who have been to Yemen recently, I guess. But assuming there was, let's say Yemen was known for its very powerful rivers, right? So now he's associating in their minds that wonderful river that flows throughout Yemen, it's you, but what's the, what's the metaphor? But it's your Torah that nourishes and sustains everybody. Right? So that adds another dimension. If it were known that there is great, there are great rivers in Teman, and that you now are assimilated or associated with that great river, you become much more. Aren't some of the rivers that are mentioned in the, uh, in the sheet? We're going to come back to that in the next, next line. Exactly that. Good. And all the merchants, so how do the merchants? To all of their questions, answered, They found something that was planted. Again, it's the imagery of a garden planted. Naaman, right? Naaman is like a uh, place where you grow beautiful trees, like an orchard. They found this great, wonderful, beautiful garden, an orchard. Beautiful pastures. Whoever is thin goes to that place and becomes shaman, fat, right. And to their shepherds, they're trustworthy shepherds. This is Teman. What a great place. Extraordinary. Now again, lurking behind all of this is the notion, are you questioning whether you should become Muslim or not? That's not going to be an easy answer to this. Because remember that we're talking to a community in, in dire situation right now. Life and death hangs in the balance of this answer. So now, what's the Ram going to do? Now, don't think that because it begins this way, the necessary answer will be, therefore, what? Commit martyrdom. No. It's not going to be his answer. No. no. So then what's he trying to get out of here, just to foreshadow this? What's he really saying then? You are so great and strong and powerful... Yes. What do you mean? How are you going to survive? One, don't say yes so quickly. One, what about, how are you going to survive this? He may come, may. I'm not going to tell you what he's going to say right now. He may tell you, what you said is, either commit martyrdom, which Muhammad didn't like. No. He must come from Yemen or something. <laughs> so he doesn't want to go, okay, good. Or what might happen over here, is he'll tell you, you're strong, you're powerful, but you must survive. What's the third option? You're strong, you're powerful, you're a source of truth, you can nourish everybody, and you could still handle remaining loyal to your roots and foundations even though you convert to Islam. Yes, that's all. That's all. Right? Out with yes. Now he may use that answer. I'm not going to tell you what he's going to say now. That, that but that's a, you see there's a third option. You build them up. You're the source of strength. So don't think that because I say if you're going to convert to Islam if I follow this track which may or may not be the case that he's going to say okay, convert to Islam and that's it. No! Convert to Islam outwardly but know who you are internally. Right. So he's building up to such a great degree that they can end up doing, having the strength <clears throat> to do what he says. So let me get back to that point. So the first point is they, they may, he wants that perhaps, to have the strength to remain who they are as Jews internally irrespective of what they become externally. Right. So know who you are. Don't become, let's say somebody who is um, a Christian, the Moranos, which is of course um, 300 years hence from right. this, where they became actually Christians. Right. Rather maintaining their Judaism. Some did to one degree or another. It's enormously difficult. But after three or four generations of doing Christianity outwardly, you became Christian inwardly as well. You lost it. Okay, that's what happens. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You lost it. But if he's good enough and they feel strong enough to maintain their Jewishness internally, 
then at a certain point when they're able to express it externally, whether it's two or three generations later, they'll be able to so still maintaining the source of their na- of their trustworthiness. So the idea is to build them up so they can convert and not even question his Psaq Halakha. Because they may say, look, we want to commit martyrdom. It's an end story, we want to commit it, finish. No. So he has a posik, has to be very careful because he doesn't want them to commit martyrdom either. They may say, let's do it. No, no, I don't want you to do it. So what does it do now? You're so powerful and strong, you can't survive even this little glitch on the screen, right. which is a temporary period of time of doing Islam, let's say. All the more so, if some rabbi there is telling them to commit martyrdom. Right? That's what might be the case. Is the case. Where somebody's telling them to commit martyrdom. Right? We'll see as we go along, but I'm not going to tell you what he says. Commit martyrdom, that's the end of the line for you people. That's your lot in life, too bad, do it. Ramana has to combat that wrong answer, right. in quotes, let's say, wrong answer, by striking saying, you're so great, you're so strong, you're so powerful, you're so nourishing of all Torah, of all the area, that you can maintain who you are as Jews, even if you externally become Muslims. So. That's another possibility over here, which yeah. is, we'll see how that, what is that? Okay, now, you're so great. You are the orchard, you are the garden. People that come from far and wide all know that this is the place where Torah emanates from. You give to the poor his bread. You are the <coughs> the fortified for the wealthy. Who give you peace. You give peace. Right? That's the Pasuk from Mishayahu, looks like, or someplace, right? People that went to this place called Shavu had hoped to, to, to reach you. See you. And your hands are given out to whoever travels in any roadway. And your homes are open and wide to everybody. And with you, everybody found rest. Fantastic. And running away from your homes, which is so giving to all, is sorrow and weariness. The whole hayom, the whole day, you studied Torah Moshe, and you not only study Torah Moshe, which is Torah Shebikhtav, you also go on the pathway of Rabbi Asher, which is the Tamur, which is Torah Shebikhtav. You have it all. Unlike the carrots who only had Torah Shebikhtav, you have Torah Shebikhtav as well. You have everything. People that pursue justice. People that hold on to and strengthen the bedek is a foundation. Bedek abayit, the foundations of the bayit. Any cracks in it, you're there. It's hard to find such effusive praise of any other community as this is. And we're still in the middle of this praise, right? You see it all clear, right? You set up the principles of Torah al-tilam, according to the foundations. You have it all. You understand the root and the branch. Oh, what Jerusalem is all about. You've done it, you have it, you're great, you're extraordinary. You <coughs> gather those who have spread out, those who spread out of Hashem with your words. You keep all the commandments. Now, <coughs> interesting, it's footnote 9 tells us that in the first translation of this, Ibn Tibon, it says, he doesn't have the word call. Right? Footnote 9, about halfway down in the footnotes, he has, rather than call mitzvot. Now that's interesting. 
Now, is that intentional or not? Is the Raman really right that you keep all the commandments? Or the Raman right that you keep the commandments? What's the difference? All is everything. In commandments is... We all keep some commandments. So is it intentional or not? Was that a, a writer's error? Was that a scribal error? Or is that part intentional? We can go either way at this point. In other words, is Rambam really wants that you keep all the commandments? Why would you not write all the commandments? A, because you don't want, and the easiest what first comes to mind, you don't want somebody, think that somebody like us think that they were such great at every commandment. No, we've got to back away a little bit from this. I, I don't think he wants to back away. You also don't want to see him as false praise. Exactly, as a false praise. Praise, right. But so, they know themselves they don't all the commandments. Nobody, because no good, but I'm with that, you can't keep all the commandments. So that's exactly. When you say you keep the commandments, keep the commandments. Not, no, no, it's, but it's more when it's, when it's coming from the way he's saying it already. You're keeping the commandments, like the important things. Yeah. Now you know you're keep, not keeping some of the commandments. You're keeping the commandments. The, I mean, the okay, so that could be. That, okay, good. That could be it. So we don't really know the answer to that question. I would. I like you know what you're saying. <clears throat> I think that the original text I read, the commandments what you keep the the commandments. So you're good. You're solid. Nobody keeps all the commandments. Right? You can't. If you're not a Kohen, you can't give all the commandments. Right. Because Kohen has commandments, we don't command. You can't give all the commandments. Right. So it can't be too far exaggerated in the praise. Right? In whatever you gather, in Pets and Yotzeh, there's nobody who breaks ranks with what you do as a community. There's, of course, a famous Pasuk also. Right? Tehilim Kuf Mem Dalet. Right? That there is no fractionalization in your cities, in your midst. Everybody's in the, on the same page, right? There's love, there's friendship, there's peace, there's harmony between all of you and all the Jews of Teman. Baruch Hashem, thank God, that God did not stop those who fulfill the Torah and keep the commandments in the faraway places. In other words, you guys are far away from the source in Teman. Not close to Yerushalayim, not close to Jerusalem. You're far away. Thank God that God strengthened you and enabled you to keep the commandments and the statutes. Right? So, Baruch Hashem Shalosh who would not stop, prevent those who keep commandments even in faraway places. Ka'ashirif Tihanu, as He promised us, with His, and now, what dimension are we adding now to this statement? It's not only you who are doing this. What else do you have behind you? God. Hashem, thank God He did this to you. So, it's not only you doing this, Hashem is backing you, strengthening you. He says, as God promised in His goodness and His kindness, by the Ishayahu, the prophet, right? That you are the sign, when he told us that from, <clears throat> this is, um, if you look down below, from the ends of the earth, from the farthest places, there's always going to be Jewish people who are going to keep the commandments. Right. From the ends of the earth, Ishayahu says, we heard the song, meaning the song of Torah being sung. Right. Right? So all of that is what these people are all about. Right? right? Clear? Next page you don't have. Let me just read one more line, then we'll end. Okay, one more line, we'll end. Because you have to go. It's either him. God will help you. Hashem le'akim dat v'chukat. God who, who, Hashem. So now we're adding Hashem to this mixture over here. Hashem who will strengthen le'akim to set up religion and its law. The small mishpat to keep to keep mishpat justice and righteousness. Linsor mitzvato to keep his commandments, religion to hold on to his berit. Amen, Selah. That's the end of that paragraph. So it ends on this very strong, powerful basis. Look who, look who he's writing to. Right? Now it remains to see the rest of the context over here, which I'll Xerox for you for next week, to see 
exactly when push comes to shove now. Their push is going to come to shove. What's going to be? Right? So we'll see. So I'll, we'll stop here <coughs> and continue where the Rambam will give the answer to what they want. Okay, thank you.